Amen, amen, and amen. I tell you, um, I just got to say that uh, I got a word to share today. And, and I'll tell you, the, uh, uh, the enemy made a mistake. He tried to mess with me. He tried to mess with God's word. And I got some folks to pray for me a little while ago, and, and he, he just made a mistake. Because uh, God has something that he wants to say to his church today that's going to change the lives, not just of us in this room, but outside this room. And the enemy has no place here. This is not his church. It's God's church. He's the king. And so, yeah, he, he, I'm, I'm feeling pretty fired up, and that's because my brothers and sisters prayed for me. Uh, wow. That's right. Uh, he messed with a child of God. You just don't do that. You don't mess with one of God's children unless you're ready to pay the price. All right. I, I want to start off this morning with a passage from 2 Kings chapter 7. And as the chapter opens up, the city of Samaria is suffering under a siege. They're like several months into it. Uh, you see, the, the king of the Arameans, Ben-Hadad, I always liked his name, Ben-Hadad, um, he gathered his entire army and invaded Israel. And, and, and the king of Israel knew that he couldn't stand up against him, so he retreated into the city of Samaria, into his palace. And the siege was, it was devastating to the city. People were starving, food was scarce, and what little food there was was, was sold for an outrageous price. In fact, Scripture says it got so bad that people literally resorted to cannibalism. A couple moms made a deal that, hey, today we'll eat your child and tomorrow we'll eat mine. And, and, and that's how bad things were in that city. And then we read this in 2 Kings chapter 7. Um, hey, could you all give me my screen too? I feel left out. I don't have a screen. Thank you. Um, now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die? They asked each other. We will starve if we stay here, but with the famine in the city, we will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. So at twilight, they set out from the camp of the, they set out for the camp of the Arameans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots, the galloping of horses, and the sounds of a great approaching army. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and Egyptians to attack us, they cried to one another. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. When the leopards arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one of the tents. They went into one tent after the other, eating and drinking wine, they carried off silver and gold and clothing, and they hid it. Talk about a fortunate change of events. From famine to feast, from certain death to life, from despair to joy, from desperation uh, to celebration. I mean, picture the scene, right? Imagine you're one of them. You're thinking you're going to die, have no food, and then you're like, oh, my gosh, there's so much here. Oh, this is good. Have you tried this? Have you tried this? Hey, this, and they're just celebrating, slapping all kinds of high fives. I mean, get a good picture of what that would be like. And then I want you to move your mouse over and click save as. Are you kidding me? This is awesome. And then click minimize because we're going to open up that image again at the very end of the message. And let's go ahead and pray, and, and, and I, I tell you, if God has his way, something huge is going to happen uh, in this room and around the world because what God does, and, and let's pray palms open. God, we love you. You are the king forever. What a comforting thought that is, because you're a good king, and you're a great king, 
and you're powerful, King, and your plans and your purposes cannot be stopped by anyone. And so, God, we praise you in this place today, God. We long for your word to come, and God, make it alive and active, Lord. God, I pray that we'll become the people that you want us to be. God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. God, enable me um, to share your truth the way you want me to. Uh, God, forgive me for my sins because there are many. God, I, I, I long for you to use me today. I long for your people to hear your truth today. I long for us to be changed today. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to week five of our message series, Life on Mission, in day 36 of his church at 3210 Prophet Road, pursuing the actions, the compassion, and the mission of Jesus. Now, understand, for the next three years, from October the 12th, 2014, to October the 12th, 2017, we're going to begin living out our lives on mission L and B, like never before, as we with great intentionality pursue the purposes for what God has for us as a church and as an individual. And as I said many times during the last few weeks, it is time for us, it's time for me, it's time for you to tune out the lies of the serpent and crank up the volume of the voice of God and hear God say to you this morning, you were created by me and for my purposes. Hear God say to you this morning, uh, there is a person that I created you to be. To hear God say to you this morning, uh, there are good things that I planned for you to do long before you took your first breath. Let that sink in. Marinate on that. The star-breathing, ocean-holding, sovereign king of the universe, the one who is and was and always will be, has a plan and a purpose for every life in this room. For we are God's masterpiece. You know, you're not your own masterpiece. You're not my masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. We're God's work of art. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Do you believe this? And will you embrace this L and B like never before? And listen, because those 27 words in Ephesians are true, it, it, it would be tragic for you and I to get to the end of our lives and find out that we missed out on the life we were created to live. Get it? Good. That's why we launched a three-year plan called Pursue. That's why we're, we're doing this series, uh, Life on Mission, so that every person who drives onto this campus, so that every person who walks through those doors will live the life that God created them to live. Man, this stuff is some good stuff. It's great stuff. I am preaching myself so happy today. I mean, I'm getting so pumped up because it's true. Amen? A life lived on mission begins with belong. It deepens with grow. It expresses itself in serve, and it unleashes the favor and power of God as we engage. And last week, we kind of introduced this, this concept of engage, and, and we said that, number one, that God has called us to engage the world, and number two, we said that this dark, broken, hurting, hopeless, hapless, helpless world, they need us to engage them. 
Uh, uh, there's a world that, that needs to know what we know, uh, that needs to have what we have, uh, that needs to be where we are uh, underneath the favor of God. And, and number three, we said that we need to engage our world in, in, in relevant ways. That's our number four core value. We engage our culture in relevant ways. And, and, and what that means is that we, we have to speak in a way that our culture understands. And part of doing that is removing obstacles. You know, it's saying, hey, we want to make it as easy as possible for people who don't know Jesus to see the salvation they can find in Christ. And part of it is also, you know, is embracing what I call the do-whatever-takes mindset that Paul had, where Paul said, hey, you know what? Paul says, hey, it's not about what I want. It's not about my desires. It's not about my opinion. It is about the mission. Paul says, I'll become all things, all people that I might win them. He was mission-driven. And engaging our culture in relevant ways also means that we just, we don't have to invent something new, right? We don't have to go to a seminar. We just got to open the Bible and become who God has called us to be. We just got to be the church. By simply being the church, by, by loving the unlovely, by forgiving those who hurt us, by reaching out to the hurting, by feeding those who are hungry, by freeing those who are in captive, by, 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 by serving those who are less fortunate, by offering belonging to the outcast, just by being the church, by, by, by taking Christ into the darkness, by, by bringing his truth to the skeptic, by displaying love for our enemies, simply by being a church and, and, and by looking after the orphan and the widow, that's engaging our culture in a relevant way. And this morning, we're going to dive a, a little deeper into this concept of, of, of engaging our culture by looking at a, a key component of this, and it's connecting. You see, you and I, we can't reach lost people. We can't reach people far from Christ if we're not close to people who are far from Christ. Amen? You ready? You ready to do this? I mean, this is so awesome. You know, if God has his way, you know, Countless lives, countless people right today who are lost without hope, guess what? Next year, year after, they won't be. Question number one, what is God's all-consuming passion? Now, the word passion comes from the Latin word paseo, which means to suffer. You see, when you're passionate about something, you are willing to suffer for it. I understand whether it's hunting, fishing, Sports, gardening, boating, biking, collecting, dating, music, fantasy, football, right? Hope my team wins today. Uh, when people are passionate about something, uh, they've concluded that cost, that time, that money, that weather, that comfort are all irrelevant because when you're passionate about something, you're willing to suffer for it. I was talking to somebody yesterday, uh, a lady whose husband was out hunting yesterday, and I was just thinking, it's really cold out there. You're going to be passionate, right? I mean, nope. Hunters, I don't hunt. You're out in the cold and it's damp. You're out there, it's freezing, your toes are cold. You gotta be passionate about hunting to do that. Last Sunday, Sunday I saw some people passionate about watching football. They're at, in Seattle, and Seattle played the Giants, and I always like when the Giants lose because they stole two of my team's Super Bowl rings, of the Patriots, and uh, they stole them. A lucky, couple lucky passes. Come on, you know it. The world knows it. Tom should have two more rings, but that's beside the point. Yeah, and, and, but it's like pouring down rain. And people are still, you know, tens of thousands in the stands, standing in the freezing cold rain, standing up watching football, suffering for it because they're passionate about it. See, passion is an amazing, inspiring, motivating, and powerful thing. And nothing great ever happens without it. The driving force between all great art, music, literature, drama, architect, technological advances, relationships, churches, and ministries is passion. A passion drives athletes to break records, right? A passion 
pushes scientists to find cures for diseases. Uh, passion causes musicians to keep playing in smoke-filled nightclubs and sleeping in their cars and parking lots waiting for their big break. Uh, passion motivates students to give up sleep and maybe go into a few parties so that they can study and get a good grade because they're passionate about their studies. So, so what is God's all-consuming passion? I, I mean, what has God and, and what is God willing to suffer for? Here are some scriptures that speak to God's passion. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's past to follow our own. Yet, I love the yet, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet, when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He'll enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. I love this. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, you know, he says, man, it's hard. It was hard to be beaten. It was hard to have my back rip raw. It was hard to, to watch my father turn away from me. He will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many people to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. Jesus, he's suffering, he's passionate. He goes, yeah, but it's worth it because Gail is going to come find and know me and be reconciled to God because Dan and Pam, they're going to be made right with God and Kyle's going to know God. He says, yeah, it's hard, but it's worth it when I see what my passion and suffering produces. And then Jesus told this parable. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees, they weren't there to listen. This caused trouble, and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Now, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home, and then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Uh, it actually reads, there's more rejoicing in the presence of the angels in heaven, which means the angels aren't necessarily rejoicing. Who's really rejoicing? God is like freaking out. Than over 99 righteous persons who do not need or think they need to repent. He, he, Jesus said this in Luke 19, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are what? Who are lost. Jesus gave his great commission. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And Paul writes, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. Aren't you glad? It wasn't so good, was it? it now, sometimes it doesn't go as quick as we like it, right? You know, but it's gone. A new life has begun. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God is giving us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Uh, so what is God's all-conceiving passion? It's people. It's lost people. It's me. It's you. His passion is a person to your right and left. His passion is for, this week, every person that you lock eyes on is somebody that God is passionate about. 
Have you ever lost something valuable to you? What are the kind of things that you lose that put you on a frantic search? Here are two of mine, right? Right here. You know, I mean, you can't find these things, and you're like, where are they, right? You know? No. What are some things that you lose on a regular basis that make you start freaking out where they are? Okay? Share a few of those things with the people around you. Like, what do you lose and go crazy trying to find? Only king forever. Man. Looks like we got a room full of losers today, right? <laughs> Bunch of losers out there. Wow. Class. Class. <laughs> All right. All right. Well done. Well done. Have you ever lost a person? I tell you, one of the scariest days that, that Laurie and I ever experienced was January 2008. We were, we were in uh, Nanjing, China, um, adopting Jintao, and we should have a picture of them right there. That's it. May Lee was four and a half. I got permission to use it. When your kids get older, you got to make sure before you use an illustration or show a picture, you, you better get, I got written approval. I said, May Lee, let me show you the picture, and I'm going to do this. Are you cool with it? When they're little, you don't care, but they get older, you got to, so she's cool with this, right? And and there's a little Gentile, and he's a cutie right there, I'll tell you what. And, and, uh, and we, we were in downtown, huge city, you're having breakfast in the seventh floor, really good breakfast, and we walk over to the elevators to go down to our room. And we're waiting, the doors open, and unknown to me, May Lee walked into the elevator. And the door started shutting. All I heard was, Baba! And I'm like, oh, my God. You know, and I, my memory, I, can't, I know one of us stayed up. One of us flew down the stairs. The longest 10 minutes of my life. I mean, we're talking a foreign country, you know. I mean, she doesn't even look like me, right? You know, I, 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 I mean, somebody could grab her, you know. I told her, I told her last night we were getting ice cream because I said, if, if I didn't find you, I'd still be in China looking for you, right? I mean, I wouldn't be like, well, you know, we still got four kids, you know, 80%, that's a B. It's a B, that's good enough. No, no, we didn't do that. I mean, she's your child and she's lost. And you see, the Bible is the story of God's unrelenting and passionate, I am willing to do anything, pursuit of prodigal people like you and I. It's a pursuit that began in the garden when we fell. It's a pursuit that continued throughout the pages and centuries of the Old Testament. It's a pursuit that caught up to us at Calvary, and it's a pursuit that continues to this very day as we continue to rebel and turn our backs on God. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And listen, God's, God's passionate pursuit of people was not just Israel, it was the whole world. And nowhere is this seen more clearly than in the story of Jonah. You see, the main story of Jonah is not that, hey, if, if God calls you to do something, you better do it or else you'll get swallowed by a fish and spit out on the beach three days later. So you better do what God tells you. That's not the main story. See, the main story is that God is passionate about all people. God sends Jonah to go to Nineveh, capital city of the Assyrians, who just butchered the nation. Jonah didn't want to go, and, 
But God made them go, and he preached the word to them, and guess what happened? They repented, and Jonah was ticked. And he goes out, sits out on the hill somewhere, sulking. I knew you'd do this. I knew you'd save people. I knew you'd forgive them. He just all takes off, and God causes a plant to grow up, and it gives him shade. And he goes, man, oh, I like this plant, you know. Put on his iPod. Hey, this is awesome. But then, then God made a worm, and the worm killed the plant. And now Jonah's all ticked off. Like, man, my, every, what could go wrong? What, could, what else happens? And God says, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. I love this. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, full of brutal people who tortured and murdered my people and worshiped false gods, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from the left hand. Most people believe that's talking about children. God's like, hey, Jonah, I know you hate the people. What about the kids? What about their kids? You know, see, God cares about lost people. Would you agree that God's all-consuming passion is lost people? Circle yes or no on your outlines and, or in your minds. And the next question is, was it early churches? What was, what was the early church's all-consuming passion? And, you know, from Acts chapter 1, when, when Jesus gives his church his marching orders, you will be my witnesses to the very last verse in the book of Acts. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ, you see a church that was obsessed with spreading the good news about Jesus. And, and, and listen, once this passion, once this conviction that, hey, I, I will suffer anything, I will sacrifice anything so people can know God, once that was unleashed in Jerusalem in Acts 2, it, it became a mighty tsunami and nothing could stop it. Not threats, not troubles, not hardships, not famine, not sword, not persecution, not even death could stand up against this powerful wave of gospel passion that literally flowed to the ends of the earth, turning the world upside down and literally bringing down the Roman Empire without raising a shield or lifting a sword. It happened, unexplainable, apart from God. And, and there's so many snapshots. We've been reading Acts and our faith comes from here in this little Bible program I'm reading thing we do. And, and there's all kinds of snapshots where we see these people like, hey, you know what? Most important thing to me is telling people about Jesus. I, I can only share one. In Acts chapter 8, real people, right? I mean, you hit them, they bruise. You cut them, they bleed. Uh, you hurt them, betray them, they cry. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Man, we just, like, we just remodeled our kitchen. I just got the promotion. That girl finally said yes to go out with me. You know, we're going out on Friday. Now we got to leave. I mean, imagine that happening, right? All your stuff, you got to leave it. Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered, whined and moaned about their sorry lot in life. What would they do? Preach the word wherever they went. They said, yeah, I know it's hard. I know I'm suffering. And I didn't really want to leave my stuff, but I had to leave my stuff. But now I'm here with you, and I wouldn't be here with you. If I wasn't in this hospital room right now, you, you wouldn't be coming in and, and checking my blood pressure, but since I'm in this hospital room and you're checking my blood pressure, you know, maybe God put us here together so you could hear about 
Jesus. Do you agree that lost people were the early churches all conceived in fashion? Anybody believe it? Anybody believe it? Raise your hand. I think I'm saying, man, I only want to believe that. Next, what is our all-consuming passion? What's yours? What's mine? What's the all-consuming passion of the person to your right and to your left? What are we suffering for? What are we willing to suffer and sacrifice for? I mean, if a totally objective person or simply to look at my life and yours, to look at the life of Maple Grove and, 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 and examine the evidence, to examine you know, where we invest our time and our emotions, examine, hey, what really gets these people fired up? What do these people sacrifice for? What do they stand in the rain for and shiver in the cold for? Would they conclude that it's lost people? My answer is, I'm not so sure that's what, what their answer would be. I'm not so sure. And, and maybe this graph will explain what I, why I answered that way. Here, here's a graph. A survey was done of 3,000 churches a couple years ago. And, and you can see there, you know, 80% agree of Christians who go to church every week. You know, 8 out of 10. That means 2 out of 10 don't. I have a personal responsibility to share my religious beliefs about Jesus with non-Christians. So one in five say, nah, it's really not my job. And, and, and let's go to the next slide. So only, so, you know, if our all-consuming passion is lost people, you know, does that make sense when only 80% of churchgoers think that it's a responsibility? I mean, it's lost people, our all-consuming passion, if only 61% of people that claim Christ invited someone or shared their faith, 61%. You know, shared their faith in the last six months? Is it our all-consuming passion? If, excuse me, that's 61% haven't shared their faith. That's even worse. That means six in 10. Nah, didn't do it. Why? I don't know. Is lost people all-consuming passion when only, when 48% of churchgoers have not, half people have not invited someone to church? I've heard a stat, I don't know how true it is, you know, but at least sobering to think about. You can Google it. You know, it said 90% of Christians during their entire lifetime will never lead a person to Jesus. Now, if you're one of those people surveyed and they called you, called me, hey, Steve, I'm doing a survey here. You know, have you shared your faith with someone in the last six months? I called you. And if you're a Jesus follower and this stuff makes you uncomfortable, that is my intention. To make us uncomfortable. To, to make us examine our passions. To make us examine what we're willing to st- freeze in the cold for and get wet in the rain for. So that we can acknowledge where we are, readjust, and move forward. And believe me when I tell you, this conversation makes me uncomfortable. Because I, I got to up my game. And I'd like to offer a few reasons why lost people are not our all-consuming passion, right? I mean, the, the numbers speak for themselves. And before I do that, I want to show you a video of uh, Penn Gillette. And, um, and, and he talks about a time after one of his shows where he was given a Bible and what reaction he had to it. He's going to make a statement that, like, are you kidding me? Crazy. Check it out. How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them? 
He says, I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that a truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I will tackle you and this is more important than that. How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them? I want to suggest some reasons why, you know, that lost people are not our all-consuming passion. Um, number one, we get distracted by lesser things. Now, now, some of these passions are obviously wrong and destructive, but others, they're, they're not wrong or destructive, but they're just much lesser, and they distract us, and they move us to invest more of ourself, more of our time, more of our energy, more of our emotions, more of our resources in them than in God's passion. And number two, we ignore or become numb to a horrible and terrifying reality. John writes, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Anybody like those eight words? Man, I'm loving them, right? How about these next 15? Whatever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. I don't like those 15 all that much. And I really hate these words right here. When the Lord Jesus revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. And I've got to be honest, I, I, I enjoy reading those verses about as much as you enjoy hearing them. And if I was given editorial rights, I, 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 would, I, I, I would delete them. But I can't. Hell is real. And a lot of people go in there. Francis Chan writes this in his book, Erasing Hell. He says, the saddest day in my life was the day I watched my grandmother die. When the EKG monitor flatlined, I freaked out. I absolutely lost it. According to what I know of the Bible, she was headed for a life of never-ending suffering. I thought I would go crazy. I never cried harder. And I don't want to feel that way again. Since they have tried not to think about it, it's been 20 years. And even as I write that paragraph, I feel sick. I would love to erase hell from the pages of scriptures. How about you? You ever struggle with hell as I have? Do you have parents, siblings, cousins, or friends who, based on what you have been taught, will end up in hell? What a bone-chilling thought. Until recently, whenever the idea of hell and the idea of my loved ones possibly heading there crossed my mind, I would brush it aside and divert my thinking to something more pleasant. While I believed in hell with my mind, I tried not to let the doctrine penetrate my heart. But I reached a point where I could no longer do this. I could no longer acknowledge hell with my lips while preventing my heart from feeling its weight. Too much is at stake. Too many people are at stake. You know, I mean, when you think, does anybody here know anybody that right now is not right with God and is headed to hell? You know, when you think about, we don't even want to raise our hand, do we? We don't even want to do that. But when you think about them actually going there and never being able to leave that place of suffering, it's not very pleasant, is it? But you know what? We need to allow it to penetrate our hearts so that we can get back on mission. Another reason it's not our all-consuming bashing, we've forgotten. We've forgotten where we were, that we were lost, that, uh, that we were without hope, without God that we were still objects upon which God's wrath rested. We've forgotten whose we are. And we are not our own. We were bought with the price. You know, we're no longer to live for ourselves. We are God's sons and daughters, and we're to embrace his passion as our own. 
We've forgotten what we've been called to do. He says, you will be my witnesses in Acts 1.8. And he says, in 2 Corinthians, he's giving us this task of reconciling people to him. You see, for the most part, God is primarily giving us one job. And if you have one job and you don't do that one job, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Bad thing. Now, now, to lighten the mood a little bit, right, a little bit heavy, let's have some fun. There's a website called, I had, you had one job. You only had one job. And, and, it had, had, and how people had one job and they still couldn't get it right. It's a fun website, a lot of pictures. So here's some people that had one job, only had one job. Only had one job. Didn't work so good. You only had one job. And we got parking issues. Could you kind of block? It? Only had one job. Don't think that's going to work. Only have one job, right? Now people know, uh, he's confused. Do I enter or do I exit? What do I do? You only got one job and you couldn't get it right. Uh, I love this one. Only got one job. We want some balconies in these apartments. They forgot you need a way to get to the balconies, all right? Hey, great job, but only got one job. We need these new cabinets. Only got one job. It's just not going to work. Uh, only got one job. Install this door, right? Okay, we lay on the floor to look through there. Is that, is that a puppy thing? I, I like this one. Only got one job, the handrail. You know, only one job. Couldn't get it right. I love this one. That's the women's room. Hey, Fred, we need you to install those urinals. I got it, boss. <laughs> I installed them. It's like, uh, sir, it's not going to work. Only got one job. We know we have a lot of bikers. Hey, follow the biking arrow. Boom. Only got one job. I love it. This is great stuff. Only got one job. Let's make a t-shirt. Right? Oh, that's a geography major right there. Only got, only got one job. Only got one job. Uh, made in China. Only got one job. Still couldn't get it right. Only got one job. I love this one. Hey, we need you to, you know, put the toothbrush and toothpaste. Now, they do look nice and neat, but you only have one job. I love this one, too, right? Only got one job, right? <laughs> hey, anybody have poop tarts for breakfast? <laughs> and then you got, you got this one here. Okay, we, got, we want to get our team logo at midfield. Only got one job. Hey, boss, I did a great job. All right, 100 divided by 2. Hey, look for pictures and... You know, send them to me. They're kind of fun. Again, we only have one job, be his witnesses. Only one job, to reconcile lost people to him. And if this is our one job, when the king returns, will he be happy if we're not doing it? We say, well, well I know we're not doing that, but look at our nice building. I, I, I know we're not doing that, but did you hear us sing today? I know we're not doing the one job, but we had a really good Bible class yesterday. He's not going to care. He says, you got to get one job. You need to be my witnesses. My son wasn't crushed for nothing. You need to tell people about my son. Another reason I won't go into in depth, we just know this. we got an enemy, right? He's okay for us to be passionate about singing, Passionate about studying the Bible, passionate about preaching a sermon, right? As long as we're not passionate about rescuing lost people from his thorny claws. So he'll distract us. Let us join hands and sing kumbaya, right? As long as we're not doing what he's called us to do. Now for the most important question. What are we going to do about it? I mean, you got to be honest with ourselves, right? What are we going to do? individually as a church about, about lost people 
and bringing Christ and sharing our faith not being what consumes us. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We are going to turn the tide. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're not going to accept it. We're not going to accept those statistics. We're not going to accept the fact that, well, you know what, only, uh, you know, t- only 10% of people, we don't, we don't, I don't care about those percentages. We're going to blow right through those things. We're going to turn the tide and become very intentional about sharing our faith with lost people. And, and, and sometimes sharing our faith, we kind of freak us out because we think, well, it means that we got to put on a, a, a white shirt and tie and knock on doors or stand on the street corner and yell, repent, repent, or, or give out tracts to people who are trying to avoid us. Here's a track, here's a track. No, I don't think that's what God wants us to do. What he wants us to do, he says, hey, you, you know, he, he says, you got some people in your life right now in your own Jerusalem that need you. He says, engage the people you already know and your family and your friends. You already know them. You may eat some holiday meals with them. They may be sitting right next to you, but they're light years away from God. And what God wants you to do is, hey, would you, would you do what you can to move them closer to Jesus? And then there's people that you could get to know, Right? I mean, it's that person who works out at the gym the same time you do. It's, it, it, it's, the, it, it's, the, it's the person you wave at in your neighborhood, and you wave, but it's never been more than that, or the person that works next to you and, or, or is in a class with you. You've had small talk, but it's never been more than that. You know, it's the guy who scans your food at, at Food Line, you know, and, and maybe God is saying, hey, you know, what if, what if you said, God, is this the person that you would like me to begin to share my faith with? And the challenge for us is this. It's, it's, it's a real challenge. You see, some guy did a study that said after a person's been a Christian for two years that they, have, they don't have a single significant relationship with a lost person. You know, we have small groups with Christians. We, you know, we go to, you know, Christian concerts. We go to Christian schools. We eat Christian bagels. I don't know. <laughs> I only eat Christian bagels, you know. But he says this habit, one John Stott called it rabbit hole Christianity. We, we're at a Christian event, and we only got in the world long enough to pop out of a hole and run to the next Christian event. And, and, and that's the real deal, you know? And, 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 you know, think about who's on your cell phone contact list and your friends on Facebook and the people following you on Twitter, you know, they do. How many people are far from Christ? And if you're like me, not enough. This convicts me. To no end. You know, you know, for the first 13 years of my Christianity walk with God from 19 to age 32, it was easy. I mean, I, I work with non-Christians all the time, you know, in the Navy and at Perkins Main Gate Disney. Hey, I'm Steve. I'm your server today. Please tip me well, you know. And, 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 and you know, but I, I, 22 years, whatever, you know, I've been in full-time ministry. And, and sure, I talk to people who come here seeking God and help them come to Christ, but as they walk through those doors, we've got to say, Steve, what about when you walk out those doors? And, and I'll try to be more intentional about it. And, and I, I want you to hold me accountable, and we need to hold each other accountable. I'm using uh, Gentiles baseball. I got lunch with a guy this Friday. I'm trying to try, I'm trying to seem like a stalker too, right? Hey, will you do lunch with me? It's like the guy at Food Line. He's a Bronco fan, one guy there. And, and, and like he, they beat the Patriots, and he dogged me. Then I couldn't wait after the Super Bowl, and I just totally abused them for like three hours. And, <laughs> I went in last week, last week after the Patriots beat the Broncos again. I said, hey, if I knew you were working today, I wore my Patriot hat, brother. He goes, I don't want to talk about it. And we started, I said, well, you think we'll beat again? We'll beat you. I go, well, let's bet. Uh, you know, 
you know, the, 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 winner, the loser takes the winner to lunch. And he, didn't, he wouldn't bat me. He's thinking, this guy's a freak, you know. You know but, but I'll still try. You know, but we, we got to be intentional, right? People we work with, right? You know, the things you can do, right? It, 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 practice strategic consumerism, right? You know, it, you, you eat and go to the store. Try to go to the same place and get to know the people, right? You know, stuff like that, you know. And, and, and I, I got to move on. And, and here, here's the deal. It can be intimidating, right? You're like, I know so many people. Where, where do I start? And it's kind of like that, that starfish illustration. You've ever heard of it? You know, a guy's on the beach. He's walking in, and he sees this old guy. There's thousands of starfish that are wiped up on the beach, thousands. And, and, and he sees this old guy bend over and picks one up and throws it. And the young guy goes, hey, dude, what are you doing? You're, you're not making a difference. Do you see all the starfish? You see how many there are? It doesn't make a difference. And the guy bends down again. He goes, it makes a difference to this one. Yeah, you know a lot of lost people. Begin praying to God. Say, God, who is that one person? Just one, right? You know, it's like cleaning your room, right? It's like eating an elephant, right? Well, you got to start one bite at a time, right? Clean your room. Just pick something up, right? You think, who do I? Pray to God. God, God say, God, I, I want to reach one person for you next year. One person for you next year. I got to tell you, talk about turning the tide. I I did some numbers here. Check this out. If the 400 students and adults who say, Maple Grove's my home, say, you know what? I'm going to reach one person. I got 365. I'm not going to reach the whole world. I'm not going to reach Charlottesville. I'm not going to convert Virginia. I'm not going to convert, you know, know, the Muslim nation. I'm going to reach one person for Jesus. And next year, what we got? 800. Next year, if there's 800, say, hey, not one. I'm just going to do one. That's, I can do one. I can meet with one person and pray. Now we got 1,600. And, and then in 2017, what do we got? We got 3,200. Hey, you stretch that into a year, the year 2018, you got 6,400. And so the 400 people, we said, you know what? I'm tired of, I'm tired of sacrificing and suffering for lesser passions I, I'm going to be passionate about Jesus. Which one person, those four, just four people, 6,000 people at the end of 2018 could know Jesus Christ. That is amazing. Is that possible? You better believe it's possible. It's possible if we embrace it and we hold each other accountable. You need to be asking me, yo, you know, yeah, I know you're discipling people. Great. I know you get up Tuesday mornings, you got the discipleship down. Yeah, I saw you doing some compassion. Great. But who are you sharing your faith with? What lost person are you bringing back home to me, Steve? Let's hold ourselves accountable in a good way, right? Not a Gestapo way. And now we move our mouse over and we click on this. Check out this verse. Remember those guys? Oh, so much food. It is so great. I can't believe the good luck, the good fortune we have. What we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news. There's a whole city in a famine behind us have no idea that we've been pigging out all night long. (laughs) Needs to know. And we're keeping it to ourselves. And that's just food. That's just silver. 
There is a city in siege by our enemy. There is a truck bearing down on people right now. They don't know it's coming. They don't believe it's coming. It doesn't change the fact that if they're outside of Christ, it's not a good thing. And God wants us, hey, enjoy your salvation. Celebrate your salvation. Let's celebrate what we have in Christ. And let's celebrate it more. I think if we celebrated grace more, we would share it more. Just one person. Just one. And so we're going we're gonna to sing a song. And, and, and you know, if you're here today, it'd be totally stupid, right, to talk about people could be lost because maybe, I don't know, maybe someone in this room, right, isn't right with God. And living, maybe you've been living your own way, doing your own thing, and it's not working. And maybe God brought you today say, you know what, I, I repent. You know, I, I repent of living for me, and, you know, and, and I'm ready to be buried in the waters of baptism, to be buried with Christ, and to rise and live a new life. Peter said in Acts 38, repent to be baptized. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you're today, and, and you know what? You, you need to just repent. You're a believer. Yeah, but you're not really living like a believer. Maybe God says, maybe you repent where you are. Maybe you come up here, you know. Uh, but, but, you know, heaven, hell's a real deal, but heaven's a better deal. You know, and anybody, there's no one has to leave here without it. And, and so we're going to sing the song. It's a great song about, you know, I don't like debt, right? You know, it's, you know, it's hard to get out of once you get in it. And financially, spiritually, it's even worse. And guess what? We don't got to pay the debt. Jesus paid it all. Let's celebrate that together. God, we love you. Please stand. We celebrate who you are. We celebrate our debt being paid. And God, I pray that if there's someone in this room, God, who's not right with you, either they come up now or they grab me after the service and just talk about this great love you have for them. God, if there's a believer in here who's not living like a believer and thinking it's okay, it's not okay, I pray they repent either where they are or come up here. And I pray that we as a body, that we repent of of just enjoying it for ourselves, which we should, but not telling other people. God, may what happens in this room today change us and change our passion. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.